You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Nice. Good morning, Susan. <laughs> good, How are you? Good morning, Tom. I'm, I'm here. That's a does good that thing. Does that count? It does. I, yeah. I guess, because they're getting to be a little questionable at my age. Well, yeah, <laughs> you're not that old. I don't know. There are days y'all make me feel like I'm older than I really am, <laughs> but, you know, just wait till I have chemo brain. Well, Just wait. Y'all think the dementia's bad. <laughs> Hold on, you haven't seen dementia on chemo yet. Yeah, that should be interesting. Oh, it's going to make the podcast so much fun. Who am I? What, what is my name? Why are we here? Yeah, but you were going to claim Mad Cow. That's so right. Poor Joel, the producer's just going to lose his mind. Yeah, and he's not even here today to keep us in check. He's not. Nothing. So we are, man. We are. Yeah, yeah we are unsupervised. That could be a problem. Joel's going to be like, "Oh no, not another bagpipe." issue <laughs> we should throw some bagpipes into it just for fun <laughs> oh, yeah man. so some corrections i need to make and again just wait till chemo kicks in because i go. had a moment on the episode that and we're going to really confuse our audience because we're kind of putting things out there in particular orders for particular reasons but right. yeah i can't believe i made a mistake and, and look, none of the it. men and none of the men in this room <laughs> Picked up on it. Well, that's come on. really sad. First, you always say men are born stupid. Well, you are. But then, how often do men really listen to women? Never, apparently. Okay, so, <laughs> and again, I I reiterate, it's biblically sound. Men are born stupid. This is just a fact of how it works. And, and when that's I try okay. to argue that fact with you, you, you say, see, you're stupid. You prove the point every time. <laughs> so when you hear an episode somewhere down the road that I talk about the first annual Chris Ferrar softball tournament, I said July 7th and 8th. It's actually January 7th and 8th. That's correct. Of 2023. I better even put the year in there. I'll really screw it all right. up. It'll be like, we already had that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we're announcing it now. We need teams to That's register. Right. <laughs> and it's going to be law enforcement versus fire. And so anyone out there listening, even if you're out of Arizona, if y'all want to bring a team exactly. in, we are not opposed to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And our big thing, you got to have 10 on the team, obviously. Right. Spouses can play. And, hey, law enforcement, we're giving you an edge up because y'all get to pull from detention, dispatch. Exactly. Uh, you name it, you get to pull from ID it. Text, ID whatever. Techs, Anybody in the PD. Fire. You get paramedics. <laughs> that's about it. I guess they have dispatch here, too, though, that's different that's than police. Yeah, so you can pull from that, too. But don't be bringing us your third and fourth cousin okay, ringers. What about if the fire department uses a separate ambulance company? Can they pull from the ambulance? Sure, we'll okay. let them do right. that, too. Absolutely. Anyway, they, <laughs> honey, we love the host riders. Absolutely, we'll let Yes, just don't bring us your third cousin who's a ringer out of Arkansas or someplace. Exactly. We're, we're not going to have that. And we do still have some openings as of now for some more teams. So but feel that, free to go on undertheshield.com and click on the link and 
get, get the team, the team registered. registered. And it's $500 per team, which is very reasonable, as we're told. I'm not a softball player. but I'm not either. I, I mean, I played baseball when I was a kid. And not the same thing. Played some softball, you know, in the military and stuff like that. But uh, that's and, and look, if you're retired from either of those, you can put a team together. There you go. Absolutely. We, we'll welcome that. But just make sure you get registered by November. Is that the right month? That is. 18th. 18th. Yes. Yeah. So if you have questions, you can call us. Uh, update on me. I got to go back to surgery. Yeah. You know, I just think my surgeon likes me. <laughs> well, he did play Sweet, Sweet Home Alabama and did say Roll Tide. Absolutely right. As I was going out, and I just remember thinking, more enthusiasm, and I was gone. <laughs> and, and that was that. <laughs> but I have a little present for him for this next surgery coming up. So this, I guess this will actually, this episode will actually drop the day I have the second surgery or pretty uh, close pretty to it. Pretty close to it. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, so we'll be updating you. Chemo starts December 12th. So by January, this ought to be really fun. Yeah, we'll be in the thick of chemo brain. The brain will really be. And, and we're going to have the whole wig thing with my guys who are already talking about strutting it and Oh, my God, it's going to be interesting. We're going to do a Facebook Live on that one. Time. I was going to say, maybe by that time, Joel can get our camera stuff figured out so that we can see the different wigs that you wear. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> You'll know my mood by the wig I have on my head. But I'm more excited about the about these two studs from Phoenix PD that are, you know, think they're real badasses, bald-headed, teach defensive tactics, all kind of stuff, going to be my models. I just think it's hilarious that they can't wait to do it. I, I think I probably should go and I do think Facebook. Live with that. We are. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're expecting to be some big phenomenon viral Facebook thing. <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to draw that kind of attention. That's right. <laughs> but we'll see. But it should be comical, that's for sure. It, well, it's the only thing that keeps me sane is these crazy people making me laugh about all this stupid stuff. <laughs> but anyway, we have a an interesting guest today. I, he he's he's practically related to me because he's a Marine. And when you're a mom of a Marine or former Marine, you claim them all. It all falls in the family. Absolutely. Right? Accepted. Absolutely. See, you Air Force people, yeah, well, Army, Navy, it ain't the same. It's yeah. just not the same. Well, he's actually is related to me through marriage. Through marriage. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we knew we knew an Air Force can't give birth. Well, I'm sure there's probably genetically. some. There's probably somewhere that some father. Was in the Air Force and his son or daughter said, "I want to be in the said, real military." I want to be in the Marine Corps. In the real military. And then they said, "Man, you're you're crazy. You can have some really nice facilities, nice chow all the time." It's kind of like the firemen brag about being able to sit in the barca loungers right. versus the PD has to be out there working. Right. I think that's kind of the same thing. See, and I blame my son being a Marine and he played ice hockey as a goalie from age six to college. and Too much head trauma? I think it is. <laughs> I, think it, I think it was. But I'm proud of him for there it. You That's go. okay. That's good. I can deal with crazy. Uh, well, that is I deal a lot with of y'all. I deal yeah. with y'all all the time. Every one of you in the first responder world is just another form of crazy. Well, I would have to say our guest today definitely falls in the crazy category. Because he went in young to the Marine Corps and retired from the Marine Corps. Good Lord. So we have retired gunny sergeant Chaz Hickox. He got up and left. No, he's back. He's just. Oh, no. That, I have an automatic light here. So. <laughs> 
So wait, 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 wait. Where are your crayons? I ate them. He ate them. <laughs> that was the answer I was looking for. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, man. Welcome to the show, Chaz. We're, we're glad you agreed to do this. You may not be glad you agreed to it in about, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. But. <laughs> so, Chaz, how old were you when you actually enlisted? Um, I was 18. 18. All right, and you're how old now? So, let's, let's put all this out on the table. 39. 39? Yep. Okay. So... I almost could have given birth to him. He's a little bit past my oldest. She's thirty-five. But oh, you could have given birth to him. Well, I could have. But he's it, married to my daughter, and she's what is she? Thirty-seven. Yeah. And I'm younger than you. Yeah, I guess so I could have. You just have to start Thirty-eight. Early. She'll be thirty-nine soon. Oh, okay. Thirty-nine. Oh, oh, now up. you're in trouble. Hey, mad cow. What can I say? <laughs> Yeah. Hey, hey, tell her what he said. <laughs> See, it, it's better because then she she's younger when I say how old she is. Well, that's true. So she's, she can't she complain say about older. that. <laughs> so mine went in at the same age as yours because we actually had to sign for him. Um, so what possessed you to do it? What, what brought this all on? Well, okay. So I tried to join before I was 18. That wasn't happening. Um, did your and, dad uh, just say, no, that's not happening? He, well, him and my mother. Um, <laughs> Moms have to Actually, more him, though, which is interesting. Right? So I was trying to join then. Um, had to wait to about August of 2001 um, when I was 18. Um, went in. I was going to be, yeah, I, I made made a deal with him. I was going to be a reservist, go to college, do what he wanted me to do, and then you know go back to duty afterwards. Um, obviously very shortly after that, all that got changed. Um, yeah, we had a little event know. that yeah. happened that probably uh, changed a lot. <laughs> so after nine 11, um, I wasn't going to half-ass it. I was going to go do the real thing. And, uh, that's when I changed all my contract stuff, uh, over to, you know, UH infantry option, um, active duty. And they were looking for grunts anyway. So, sure. Um, that's, uh, is what got me in. I did a, a year in the depth and then three weeks after I graduated high school, I left. And where did you go? Are you a, a Paris Island or a Hollywood Marine? Uh, we had mountains. We were maroon Marines. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> I'm sorry, Paris Island. I mean, you walk around a swamp. That's cool. <laughs> like climbing a mountain. I'm from South Carolina. Those no seams are not fun. <laughs> and mine was there. I'll take a nap. Mine was there June. Yeah, but they make you kill them and bury them and then dig them up, and you can't see the damn things anyway. But that's part of the fun of Paris Island. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I've never quite understood all that stuff, but whatever. <laughs> so... Over your career, how many times were you deployed? Seven. Seven times. Wow. And most deployments were what, nine months? Uh, seven to nine. Um, it varied. Uh, I had one that was uh, a little shorter. It was only four and a half. Um, that, was, uh, that was in 2006. Uh, that's when uh, 
I had left the infantry, became a counterintelligence agent, um, and then they deployed us halfway through that deployment. And did you go to the same places, or you went different places every time? Um, so for 2006 and 2007, I went to the exact same place. Okay. Uh, it uh, When I was a, a brand-new CI guy, there were so few of us in the Marine Corps in the first place. Um, that we were on pretty high demand. So, I mean, our op tempo was pretty much seven out, five back. Um, so it, us being out of first Intel battalion, um, out in Camp Pendleton, we had the summer months out in Iraq. Now it was kind of how we, we divided, divided it up between first and second, uh, MEF. Um, so the two MEF guys would come in in September, October timeframe, and we would come in, in the, uh, March, April timeframe. Okay. And, you know, with deployments, and I know there's there's a lot of stuff people don't like to talk about, and, and I get all that. Mine, mine's not big on talking about his time over there either, uh, mm-hmm. although he laughs at me because I was the one stressing out and <laughs> having to go punch bags in a gym at night, and he's yeah. over there like, good gosh, Mom, I was over there probably having a halfway decent time, and you're over here acting like a crazy woman, <laughs> uh, which I was. <laughs> Again, I wanted to, I wanted to go with him, but they wouldn't. They well, didn't. there's that special connection with mom and their sons. There you is. Know, so. He did tell me he'd go out on post, and he said a few times he's sure he saw me across the desert coming up on a camel <laughs> with his AR-15. <laughs> I said, son, if I could have gotten there, I'd have been there. That's right. <laughs> what do you think people need to know from, I mean, you know, you're talking about seven deployments. I, You know, I'm mm-hmm. lucky to have survived his mind his only one, fortunately, but what do you think the public really doesn't understand about deploying, especially multiple times? Um, I know it's hard to get away from family, but yeah. um, It it became such a normal lifestyle, Mm -hmm. especially my, I spent most of my twenties in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I, I, (laughs) I have guys that work for me now are 23 and 25 years old. And I'll say something, and they're like, no, I'm only 25 years old. I haven't done that. I'm like, you realize what the fuck I was, had already accomplished? <laughs> your I mean, that's crazy to think that it most is. of his 20s, he was deployed. You know? So he's very comfortable, is what you're telling me, when he comes to Arizona? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he's he grew up here in Arizona. Yeah, I grew up in Cape Creek. So it's yeah. kind of like being home when you were over there in the <laughs> desert, just a little noisier, a little more probably had to kind of watch things a little more closely. I don't know, today, Phoenix... More stuff blew up over there, but yeah. I honestly think I did more shooting in the mountains of the Colorado National Forest <laughs> than I did out there. There you go. And today, Phoenix is probably comparable <laughs> yeah, to, no to Fallujah and some places. Um, I know New York City is, but um, oh. you know, I just think people here, you know, somebody deploys that many times and they... They, I think they have a real misconception. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff y'all do bring back with you, and I'm I'm not a big fan that the VA is doing what needs to be done uh, necessarily. They can definitely do more. Absolutely, and and every day we hear more and more of what the VA doesn't do and what they don't provide, and I'm shocked by it all. I shouldn't be, but I am. Um, but you know, and it's hard on the family. At what point were you married? And were you married when you had your first deployment? No, no. Uh, we got married in 2007 after my third deployment. Okay. 
So she uh, kind of knew what she was getting into. Had y'all been dating during the deployments? Sorry, we got married after my fourth deployment in 2007. It, <laughs> it all runs kinda, together. Yeah, kind of hard to keep track after seven of them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, thankfully, you know, uh, and uh, I don't know if Tom's put this out there, but, uh, you know, Randell had already deployed herself once. Yeah. Right. Oh, so she had a good understanding. Yeah, she was in the army. So. Okay, that I, yeah. did. I don't she think I knew Iraq, that. Yeah. If I did, the dementia took right. it. So, <laughs> so it's uh, that that made things exponentially easier than most other guys have to deal with because she had been there, she'd done that, she she knew what to expect, um, and uh, so that that was huge for me, um, but. You know, having that understanding at home. Uh, um, and uh, honestly, the deployments, I know probably not for her, but for me got better mm-hmm. after I got married. Um, it was harder being gone, but it's, it's a lot easier being gone knowing that you, know, you got a loving family to come home to. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> and my first couple where it was just like, hey, whatever, I'm just going to go home and then it, try to fit you know, normal 18, 19 year old stuff that they get to do over the year into five months. Sure. So, um, I try to explain that to people. I, I, there's an expectation that, uh, especially for what I did, um, that stuff could go south real bad. Sure. Um, so I spent most of my time 20s not expecting to make it out of my 20s. Sure. Uh, so when I came home and we'd be doing whatever I was living literally like there's no tomorrow, mm-hmm. a lot of it. So, um, and now I'm going to be 40 in less than a year. And <laughs> Gosh, she's a baby. I swear. You're barely out of diapers. Jeez. I know, right? Don't make it sound like you're over the hill and life is done. Gosh. <laughs> I have to ask you, how'd you pick the Marine Corps? Um, so, Oddly enough, I, I grew up wanting to be in the Air Force. I wanted to fly uh, F-16s and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, my grandfather was a Marine in World War II. He did the uh, uh, the whole island hopping campaign um, as a second lieutenant. Um, so he had been to Saipan, Tarawa, and Okinawa. Wow. Uh, so he saw a thing or two. Um, so I'd always had, you know, immense amount of respect for him. But, uh, you know, growing up, I... I I like fast things and I, I liked a lot of adrenaline and, you know, Air Force seemed like it was a pretty good choice for that. Um, especially getting you know, the flying and whatnot. Um, the biggest change for me, and this is totally weird, but it was actually a movie that I saw, um, when I was about 17, 16 or 17. Um, and it was called rules of engagement. Right. Okay. Um, and it's, it's about a you know marine expeditionary unit goes out and you know pulls a bunch of people out of a, uh, a problem um, at the U.S. Embassy in Sinai, Yemen. Um, there's a bunch of irony in that, which comes years later, but that's different altogether. But um, so I watched that and I realized at that point in time the guys flying stuff around didn't really do anything. It was the guys that were actually on the ground as infantrymen. Right. Uh, Doing the work, and that's what I wanted to do. 
So um, at that point in time, I chose the Marine Corps. Um, I wanted to be, you know, everybody who wants to join the Marine Corps, wants, you know, at that point in time, it's before MARSOC. So we want to be force recon. We want to be you know, tip of the spear kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I wish they hadn't changed the name. Because that, that well, whole... it's, it's a totally different thing now. So yeah. it's not just a name change. It's you know, the Marine Corps never had anybody that was funded by SOCOM. They didn't have any of that. Um, and Force Recon was literally a force level reconnaissance um, who did direct action on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the time I joined the Marine Corps, it just made more sense to become an O three eleven. And then I, you know. Do that for a while, and then uh, you know, apply to you know three twenty one, and go from there. Um, Did uh, your parents kind of go? That, Wait a minute, what happened to the Air Force? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. That that happened, um, and this, before nine eleven, even um, I was literally told, "You're throwing away your youth." Uh, <laughs> to which you now right. reply. I think I had a pretty cool, a pretty cool time. It was, it was hard, and there's there's some bad times, but sure, uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. Sure. So. Yeah, well, it's funny because my son, I spent five weeks with the NYPD post 9/11, and he was 10 years old on 9/11, mm-hmm. and so he heard all the stories, me coming back and talking about what was going on up there and everything, and that's when he decided he was going in the military. And then we were at church one Sunday, and doggone if some Marine didn't walk in and dress blues. And this little 10-year-old looks at me, and he goes, that's what I'm going to be. And I thought, he's 10. This too shall pass. Yeah. He never wavered. It says, damn dress no, blues. Yeah, they they, they do child. have a pretty awesome uniform, <laughs> man. That is cool. Yeah. I'm not sure that's the best way to pick the Marine Corps, but. Well, you know, hey, it, I love it. What's funny about that, so a lot of people don't realize and that the Marine Corps goes, it's very big on pomp, circumstance, and, and history, yes. right? Um, and that actually dates back to post Civil War era um, when they, there was a big push to get rid of the Marine Corps. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, the uh, army's been trying to get rid of the Marine Corps for years. Why? Because uh, they're making them look bad. Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> actually, post post Civil War, uh, to be honest with you, um, most of the Marine Corps officers and most of the Marine Corps. And this is why you don't really see a whole lot of Marine Corps history from Civil War. Um, they had seceded with their states, um, so the vast majority of the Marine Corps was fighting for the South. Um, it's not a, a well-known or publicated <laughs> thing. Right? But us Southerners, are we are very proud of that now that I'm yeah, hearing this. Right. <laughs> right. No one I love the Marines. Uh, so post-Marine Corps, the, during you know, uh, Reconstruction and all that stuff, uh, there's a big problem with that. So that's when the president's own band came into play. They started doing their, their summer um, parades out of Quantico and out of 8th and I up in D.C., um, and so on and so forth. And it, it was a messaging piece to keep the Marine Corps around. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, pretty much that's where our super strict uniform standards come from is to do a messaging piece, just like what happened with your son. Mm-hmm. And that literally is the purpose behind all of it. Um, a lot of 
you'll hear people who are ignorant and don't understand what history is, and they'll say, well, it's a discipline thing. It's, it's this. We're more disciplined than everybody else. Um, we were winning wars well before we gave a shit about the uniform. So, <laughs> yeah, the Air Force worries about looking good, but they just hadn't gotten there yet. That's right. So, I mean, it, it, if you look at, uh, you know, the, the wars in, uh, you know, China, uh, you know, the small wars there, uh, the Spanish American War, which we played a huge part in, uh, just basically because of the uh, amphibious nature of it. Uh, nobody cared about. You know any of that? Sure. Um, we didn't pick up good haircuts until after we stole it from the Nazis, um, <laughs> and that's a, that's a true statement. Um, Never knew that either. I got to have a conversation with my child. He, he's left all this information out somehow. Right. Well, if you if you look back at Dan Daly, John Basilon, every all these other really famous Marines from way back when, not a single portrait of them has an in regulation today haircut. Yes, I never thought about it, really and truly. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, and, and that uniform, I mean, whoever did the marketing on that concept, really, they hit it right with those dress blues because yeah. after he got out of out of uh, basic in Paris Island before he got to go to the garden spot of Lejeune. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's an interesting place. Um, it, you know, we'd be out to dinner after something. We had gone to a wedding or something. He'd be in his dress blues, and literally people are walking up wanting to take their picture with him. Yeah. And I'm over there, and he's like, there goes my mother again. I'm over there crying, you know, and, and stuff. And, but, yeah, it's, uh, it is it is definitely the sharpest uniform. I just am not sure I was excited about my son picking it based on that but uh you know proud very very I'll, I'll proud think about it. I, i've been with randell out in las vegas after a ball right mm-hmm. and then we just everybody goes out in town in the blues because uh that's the best way to get free stuff in vegas yep. um, <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> it's either so, a high roller or marine dress blues right yeah. <laughs> um so I mean, we, we could literally walk into the crowd, and I, I'm sure you guys have been to Vegas, and you know it's a sea of human beings yes. everywhere. Um, and you kind of got to work your way around and, and get around the crowd and, and, and work it out. Um, <laughs> but wearing those blues, I could walk directly at people, and they would like split like the Red Sea, Boy. and they would just get out. <laughs> and coast right over. Um, <laughs> well, there's a lot of respect when it comes. I mean, you guys, you look great. I, I know when when we went back out for your uh, retirement ceremony, and you. I saw you in your dress blues. With yeah, that all was the that three weeks vacation you took. Two weeks, two days. <laughs> uh, sorry, two weeks, three days. <laughs> but I mean, Chaz just looked fantastic. You know, he had like all it. his medals on. He's just sharp and crisp, yeah. and just. I mean, that's professionalism, right there. Absolutely, nothing yeah. like it. And you know, and the thing I was surprised about too is, but it's not a uniform. Overall, I'm not just talking about the dress blues, that is used in order to gain things because it always bothered me that like when I'm flying, they'll let Mm -hmm. the military on the plane, but you're not going to see, unless that's changed, I know when my son was in, Marines didn't wear any form of a uniform at all flying. Mm -hmm. 
And so they could never get that advantage, and it used to drive me crazy. Of course, I always right. thought as the Marine mom that somebody ought to offer me something, too. I'm the one who gave birth <laughs> to him. Jeez. Uh, you know, when did the moms get something here? Right. Um, but I always thought that was really interesting, the concept of it, because the dress blues do stand out so much, but yet it's it isn't something that they want to use on a daily basis right. for the benefit of anything. Yeah. And I think they're the only ones no, as far as I know. Well, I'll tell you, during your, your son's time, um, my crew had a lot to do with that. Um, and that had nothing to do with work or anything like that. Um, is we, we were very big on uh, anti-terrorism measures. Sure. Right? So what we wanted is people get on airplanes as jarheads. And nobody could tell that that was... Yeah, the unfortunate part is that we're so stupid about haircuts that yes. everybody knows. Yeah, you can spot you in a heart. You can spot you in a heart, but you ain't got to be in a uniform. Yeah. I just tell you right. that it's kind of like the fams. I could spot them in the beginning because they'd all wear like Hawaiian shirts and stuff. And right. you go, go, if y'all think you're fooling anybody, nope. And the Marines weren't either. But right. so, <laughs> so what do you? What was the biggest change that you saw over seven deployments? Over seven, well. I got to tell you, it, it 100% was political support, right? Um, and, and we felt that uh, down on the ground. Um, I didn't really feel it when I was an infantryman um, because I, you know, wake up, stand post, go on patrol, shoot something if necessary, and then, you know, do it all again tomorrow. Right. Um, but and, even um, in 2004, in the you know, fall of that time, um, as an infantryman, uh, we we're out in Al Qaeda, which is right on the border of uh, Iraq. Uh, in fact, I had just, my squad had just replaced Corporal Dunham's old squad. Um, and this was three months after he uh, jumped on the hand grenade for his guys. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we're getting direct stories from that. We're, it didn't matter. The first patrol I did out there, we blew up somebody's house. So um, it was, uh, we weren't playing. And we were allowed to go out there and do, you know, the Wild West stuff that we needed to get done. Um, and we were really essentially like a blocking element, um, if you will. Uh, our goal was to suck up all the foreign fighters that were getting drawn into Fallujah during that time. Sure. Uh, so we actually had a bunch of uh, operations planned in order to uh, basically support Fallujah from Al-Qaeda, right? And uh, make sure that we were taking out those foreign fighters leaking through the Syrian border. Um, we couldn't do it because we ran out of funding because there was only so much funding. And all of that was going straight towards uh, Al-Fajr and Just Cause. So, well, it was Al-Fajr at that point. Just cause was that spring. But um, we also knew that when we went out and did things, it was more amenable to for us to do what we had to do to get things done. Um, but well, it was October 15th of 2004. Um, where uh, I think we'd been in country for 
about six weeks at this point. And uh, we went out to um, do a, a messaging campaign because the uh, Al-Qaeda had come through and they, they killed a bunch of the uh, Iraqi National Guard, um, executed them, straight them in the uh, ING uh, headquarters. Wow. So our messaging was, you know, they'll go after them in the headquarters when we're gone, but they won't come out and fight us directly. Hmm. Um, and basically we were calling them out trying to get a fight started. Um, there you go. At the end of that, uh, I think the only problem is that we brought so much ass that day that they knew better. Um, we had uh, 200 kilo teams from uh, the wing out there with a uh, Cobra and Huey. Um, so we had two of those, two sets of those orbiting us um, the entire time. Cobra would come down, you know, just barely over the uh, telephone wires, uh, just to make sure everybody knew that we had air support. Uh, so they they really did not want to fight uh, at that point. The unfortunate part is when they don't want to fight, they do some dirty shit. Uh, so. We're on our way back, and uh, we get hit with a 2,000-pound uh, SV bin. Um, and it was a Humvee right behind my seven-ton. Um, and it picked up a up-armor Humvee, threw it off the road, right? Uh, the one survivor there, um, I don't know if he's still alive, but I know he was pretty much a vegetable, um, even though he did survive. Uh, picking up that, that was... There wasn't much left to put into body bags when we cleaned that up. Yeah. But um, from that point on, if we made any kind of convoy in the area, right? I'm pretty sure a lot of rules from Gaven got written because of us after this. Um, <laughs> kind of but like I literally would hang outside of my seventh time with somebody holding on to uh, my pistol belt and would put rounds on windshields if they weren't stopped on the side of the But all we had to do is point to pictures of that incident, and nobody gave a shit. Sure. Uh, five years later, if we were to do that, every single one of us would be, you know, court-martialed for violating the you know, rules of engagement and yada yada yada. Um, so when it changed, so, though, what 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 were they telling you your objective was? You know, well, in two thousand four, our objective pretty much was to survive. Right. Go out there and uh, not die. Uh, in 2007, it was to allow the Iraqi army to just take over enough so we could actually leave. Um, that got a little frustrating, but it was. I'm sure. Um, 06 and 07, I was actually embedded with the Iraqi army. So, uh, my rules were still pretty loose at that point, but it uh, it got interesting. Uh, it would be two or three of us Americans on a patrol with 30 Iraqis, and uh, usually when it turned out if we got in a gunfight, the Americans would get in together, mm -hmm. find a hole, sit down, and uh, wait for what we called the Iraqi death blossom to finish because it didn't matter if shooting came from the north, the dudes on the south side of the patrol would be out of rounds because they'd be shooting everything that moved on the south side of the patrol too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It would just be a blossom of AK-47 rounds going everywhere. Right. So the safest place for us was to get in the middle and just wait. Uh, 
<laughs> That's crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> and and again, it's hard. Uh, it's hard for any of us to who haven't been in those situations, right. really, to fathom it because you know the movies make it look one way, and and reality is always something very very different yeah. from that. And I, I think it's. Um, you know, for me, the part that became frustrating was when you started to see Americans almost starting to turn on our veterans like they did in Vietnam. Right. Did y'all really feel that when it was happening? Not really, um, which was interesting because um, in spring of 2005, uh, we did an operation called uh, River Blitz, right? Uh, this was frustrating. I, you know, I'm really happy he got relieved not too long after this, but uh, Colonel Tucker, he was the uh, RCT-7 commander at the time. Uh, we were 1-7 out in Al-Qaim, and we were set to come home. So we retrograded completely all back to Al-Assad. Everybody was in go-home mode um, for about 36 hours. Uh, and at that point in time, they had sent uh, 123 and 327 um, reserve units out to a place called Hadiza. Um, and that was not, uh, say it wasn't a great place to send a bunch of reservists to. Um, so their goal was to have my company reinforced, go pretty much live out in town, get shot at. So the reservists could do a peaceful turnover. Um, so and I don't think they pay you enough for, <laughs> yeah. for that job description you just gave. <laughs> That's basically all we did, though. Um, well, I okay. Let me back. We got shot at for the first fifteen hours. We were out there. Um, we were out there for twelve days. We didn't get shot at again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can really, we can read between those lines. It, I got that picture. It, uh, that did not turn out well for them. Sure. Um, and we got lucky too. I mean, it, we had, you know, rolling into that town. Um, they did everything, you know, in a lot of power to make us not roll into that town. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, we had, like I said, we were reinforced. So, infantry company reinforced with uh, a platoon of tanks uh, and one Abrams and uh, LAR with uh, the LAV 27. That uh, that turned out pretty good. I'd, what ended up happening that day is, you know, as one of our platoons was running around the city, just trying to draw fire, um, these guys would get up on the rooftops to try to shoot RPGs down into the Amtrak's because uh, they knew they couldn't punch through the sides. Uh, and we would, it was just like being at a, a shooting gallery, and you'd see somebody pop up on a rooftop, and you pop them. It was interesting. Like playing whack-a-mole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Only you probably have a little more time in between the pop-ups. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was the most difficult deployment you had of the seven? And I mean, where? Are we talking Afghanistan? Are we talking Iraq? What? Well, it, it, it's all in relative terms. Sure. Right? Um the hardest one as far as casualties and whatnot um, is still haunting a lot of the guys today. Um, they even just did a, uh, a documentary on that. And that was uh, my first deployment to Afghanistan. 
and that was in 2008, right? And we were the first Marines to return to Afghanistan since all of the uh, all of the invasion and you know toppling the Taliban. And whatnot. Um, in fact, they weren't even sure that we needed Marine Corps in Afghanistan at that point. So they sent us out there um, with the status mission of uh, with the stated mission of um, give me one second uh, being advisors to the um, the Afghan National Army, Afghan uh, Security Forces, uh, all of that other stuff. Um, simultaneously, at the same time, the, the, the 20, I believe it was the 24th Mule was out in Kandahar. So we're all sitting out there um, in Kandahar, and this is before we even punched out to uh, where we were at in the west side of the county, uh, or county, <laughs> the west side of Helmand Province, and the east side of uh, Farah province. Um, and the commandant even came out and he was briefing us thinking that he was talking to the mule. And uh, he's like, well, at least you don't have a two sevens mission where you guys aren't really doing anything. Like, okay. this was General Amos. Um, and if you remember anything about General Amos, uh, he was the worst pick for a commandant on the face of the planet. Um, I think I've I'm heard that now, a few so times. I can say that shit. Uh, <laughs> We yep. talk about a political choice. Uh, um, anyway, uh, so he sent us out there with little or no support. Um, uh, we're, that deployment is uh, referred to as the Forgotten Battalion. If you look up 2-7, the Forgotten Battalion right now, um, you'll see we actually had the most suicides out of any battalion in the entire DOD um, after that. Uh, we had... 170 some odd get wounded during that year, um, and we lost 36 guys. Wow. So, um, suicides all when they came back, or any yeah. over there? Okay, none, none. We didn't have any over there, um, and uh, I, I chalked that up to that things were so shitty that everybody was in it together. Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was rough. Uh, On a, a much grander scale, the, the deployment that stuck with me the most that I had a hard time with uh, was actually my it was my third deployment to Iraq. It was my first deployment as a uh, CIU mate guy, and uh, it, it, that one kind of set the tone for the rest of my career. Sure. Um, to be honest with you, uh, so like I said, we were embedded with the Iraqi Army, um, doing all that stuff. Um, and we lost a captain out there. Uh, and when we lost him, we went and picked him up. It, it was an ID that went off. Went off on all three Americans on that patrol. Obviously, they were targeting us. Um, the uh, Andy Barcinas and then you know the Staff Sergeant Champlin, they both lost their legs. Um, and then Captain Pate, um, he had... Uh, he had taken a, a small piece of shrapnel right above his side's tap. Um, ironically enough, he was the one that called the casualty back. He called everything. 
Um, he was the uh, our air officer out there. Um, so by the time we got him back to the FOB, uh, my interpreter and I picked him up, running him over to the, uh, the CH-46 to put him down. Um, picked him up, and he looked up, put him down in the helicopter. Dude was gone. I mean, it, just no. True. Um, the hard part for me is knowing what we're supposed to do as CI human professionals. We are... Um, in layman's terms, the investigators out on the battlefield. We're supposed to know what's going on. Um, and that ID was fairly close to the FOB, um, and I didn't have a clue uh, that anything was going on that day. So uh, and I wasn't going to allow that to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why... Uh, I did a lot of things in Afghanistan, and I did a lot of things uh, my next deployment to Iraq to make sure that that wasn't, not at least for anything, but more so just um, put it this way, four months into my first Afghan deployment, I was complaining because a lieutenant was telling me to get more than four hours of sleep a night. I called my <laughs> chief warrant officer and said, yeah. hey, this guy said he's not going to allow me on patrol if I don't get out more than four hours of sleep. He's like, you're not getting that? <laughs> <laughs> if I would have known that, I'd say the same thing. Go to bed. Like, well, fuck. Uh, <laughs> well, and I think that's a huge part of the, you know, and again, only because I'm the mother of a former Marine, but, you know, the worst thing for him would to have not be able to be deployed, to do what you're trained to do. Right. And mm-hmm. that, you know, I think that's, part of this whole mixed bag then you get to go do what you're trained to do but i don't know that there's a way to prepare people for what can happen and will happen and then what do you do with it afterwards just like we talk about with law enforcement and Mm -hmm. so it it's a real mixed bag that if i don't get to do what i'm trained to do then why am I doing this? And then when I get to go do what I'm trained to do. Now what do I do with all that experience? Right. That There's I just a whole lot suffered. to this. Yeah. Yes. And again, y'all are trained problem solvers. You know, you're yeah. solving a different problem than law enforcement. Right. It's uh, it's a whole different environment, but there's a lot that goes with it that I'm, my thing is, I don't even think the VA really understands that. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting you bring that up because so when I retired, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my VA claim was still pending and all this other stuff. So, you know, um, we signed up for, you know, TRICARE Select. Um, yeah, they don't pay for as much, but it allowed us a lot of autonomy to choose doctors and stuff like that. Um, when they approved my 100% disability, TRICARE Select got canceled. Because you got the disability? Yep. Really? So, um <laughs> That makes no sense. Yeah. We actually had, as far as I can tell right now, we have less good insurance from when I was retired <laughs> because now I have to put the family through VA champ. I have to, I have to, you know, go through a bunch of hoops for VA just to get seen myself and all those stuff. I mean, I, I haven't seen pain management since I was active duty because it's just, it's going to take me a full day to go up to Orlando to go check in. And for some reason, they put my, my main VA location out of Philadelphia. Uh, 
<laughs> right. Uh, I yeah, submitted out of Kansas yeah. with knowing the address I was going to have down here in Florida. But I'm on Philadelphia's records. Wow. So wow. explain that one. Yeah. Uh, so disability gets you less benefits. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, insurance-wise, coverage. No insurance though, coverage. Yeah. Wow. Now, I will say they pay out extremely well. So yes. I, mean, I don't have to worry about a, a damn thing ever again. But, right. Um, it's, it's, it's odd. Well, I don't think anybody tells you that. <laughs> and, exactly. And they don't tell I you that until it happens. I, I called Trek I was like, why the hell did you just send me all of this information saying that all of my health insurance just got canceled for me and my family? Right. And what am I supposed to do now? Oh, call the VA. Like, oh, yeah, that's easy. Uh, thanks. Sure. Yeah, because that's going to happen. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, how many times were you blown up over there, Chaz? Um. <laughs> You tend to lose track of those things, which Tom. Time? Yeah, see, that's the thing. He's like, which time, which deployment? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, two thousand three. Two wasn't too bad as far as getting blown up. Um, I was around too many tanks, though. It's like as soon as we went into Baghdad, it was apeshit. Um, <laughs> somebody would shoot at us from a building, and instead of going through the door that was already there, we'd make our own uh, <laughs> with you know, 105 smoothbore. Yeah, yeah, you use and, what uh, you got, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and then we'd go inside, chase blood trails, and yeah, do our thing. Um, so that wasn't too bad, other than the concussions from the main gun. Um, Second time, I think we hit three or four IEDs. Wow. And this was back before anybody gave a shit about TBI or anything like right. that. So, oh, yeah. Um, it didn't matter if your bell got wrong. It's, are you bleeding? No. Okay. Get back in. Yeah, then uh, you're good to go. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, and I'll tell you, hitting a double stack landmine in a AAV7 uh, and get thrown from the back to the front of it sucks. Uh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> when did they start to really pay attention to TBIs? Are or are they now? <laughs> 13, <laughs> 14. Okay. They're actually pretty good about it now, but it was about 13 or 14 until they started paying attention to that. Um, and, and the Marine Corps starting out, was uh, it was a pretend thing. They would do it on paper, but nobody cared. Um, so, uh, 2006, I didn't get blown up at all. It was just, you know, Dealing with that shit. Uh, 2007, we got blown up once uh, by what, excuse me, uh, EOD came out and said it was probably a buried 250 kilogram bomb, Jeez. aircraft bomb. Jeez. And I watched that thing pick a seven ton up right in front of me. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And then uh, 2008, I don't know. <laughs> We have a lot of time, so it's, <laughs> I remember talking to your wife, my daughter, and Chaz was having to fill out some paperwork for, I think it was for the VA for your medical stuff, and you were supposed to list all the times that you had, like, concussions <laughs> or been blown up, and and she had no idea. She was like, 
when she saw you filling out the paperwork, is she says it, he just kept listing dates after dates after dates after dates, and she's like, there was stuff I had never even heard of on there, and it's just it's crazy to think of all that stuff that you know you went through and and experienced. Giving, giving all that of yourself for our country, you know. I mean, it's it's just amazing. And why can't you just say multiple times, people? <laughs> yeah. It's seven deployments. Too many to remember. Yes. <laughs> I, I did say at the beginning, look, look, list the ones you can remember. So I was like, all right. So there was, there was Zen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you know, on a normal day, I can't tell you what I did. Six right. hours ago, and I hadn't gotten blown up in between. Exactly. So I'm just not sure how we expect our military to remember things like that when it's the level of trauma that yeah. is going to impact memory, yeah, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. That, that to me is just nuts. And again, I, you know, I think y'all ought to be able to go use any doctor, any hospital, any whatever you want to at no charge. Exactly. You ought to be able to walk in, show your DD-214, and they go, okay, you're covered. And I don't know why we can't get to that. Yeah. Uh, it just seems ridiculous i will tell you though so for the state of florida by the way mm-hmm. uh, is phenomenal of course it right? is it's the republic so, of florida <laughs> <right>. <laughs> but uh so they uh being 100 uh you know service connected uh i don't pay property tax down here um which most people complain about because that's like the main tax that people have. I, I'm exempt from all property tax. Which um, should be. Yeah. They, uh, it, Randy doesn't use this, but so for both of our cars, I got a disabled veteran license plate. So I can park wherever I want to. I don't pay for parking in the state of Florida, period. It good. Includes airports. Good. So. Yeah, that's uh, good. And, and like any kind of state park or anything like that, I just, I, my tag to get in is on the back of the truck. Yep. So, <laughs> and again, and there uh, ought to be a lot of other stuff that goes with exactly. That. You guys sacrificed yeah. so much that the the regular citizen has no clue of what what sacrifice you gave. And again, the mothers should should get these same <laughs> things. I'm sure my mom would be there right, right there with yeah. you. Uh, yeah, I, right. I mean, I, I remember when the Randall only thing, was the only thing my mom ever missed, and it. it, it about killed her was uh she missed my retirement no yeah and the only reason she missed my retirement is she ended up testing positive for covid that week yeah. uh, just terrible oh, timing golly, that yeah. yeah but um much like what you're describing she was there for every step of the way and that there there wasn't a thing that she wasn't there for sure uh and, uh, yeah, I remember so, checking uh, out at grocery store and the, oh, are you a veteran? I'm better. I'm the mom of the veteran. <laughs> Sorry, we don't have that discount. Yeah, I'm right. like, what the? How do you think they got here? We're the one who birthed them. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine what your mom went through knowing every time when you were deployed. Because I remember when Rendell was deployed and I constantly was thinking about her. And it's what, awful. How she was and what was going on. And, and, mm-hmm. and I can't even imagine what your mom was thinking. And even after you and Rendell got married and I knew that you were deployed, I'm thinking about, all right, Chaz is over there. Yeah. What's he going through? Is he going to come home? You know, I mean, it's, it was crazy, but. It, well, there, there were some nights where I'd be, I'd, I'd come back from a raid or not and 
I'd be so jacked on adrenaline because we had to, you know. Dumb Addis wasn't lying that, you know, it, it's pretty exhilarating to get shot at with no effect. Right? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so um, I'd come back and I'd be, you know, high as a kite on, you know, just straight adrenaline. Right. Um, and then I'd call her on the sat phone and, you know, she'd know what just happened. And she'd be like, <laughs> Don't ever fucking call me when you're there. <laughs> when, you, when you're high on adrenaline, don't call me. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, that, but see, that would have motivated me more to want to get over there. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I almost died like five times in cool. This happened, RPGs. Don't like, tell me that thing. I can see your mom just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Marine moms, we're a special breed. I, I, I just will tell you that. We are, and I, I've never met one that wasn't part of this little clique of special brains. <laughs> but, you know, things, I mean, you know, now you're, you've retired, which is fantastic. Yes. Um, and you're, you've gotten all set up in Florida, outside of Orlando area, where, where you want to be. Uh, you bought yeah. a business uh, doing what you love to do now. I mean, you, you sacrificed a lot to be able to get to what you're, what you're now doing. So tell everyone what, what you've done since getting out of the Marine Corps. Well, so once we're done, um, it's, uh, it, fishing's always been a huge release for me, right? And so, um, the, to the point where I, I got told many a times at home that I was being an asshole, I need to go fishing. Um, <laughs> if you think Tom's blunt, just imagine his daughter times two. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> so, um, it, it's just always kind of been my escape. So I, I always wanted to do something involved with it. Um, so when I got out, uh, we ended up buying this business where, um, we sell and repair boats and we have a bunch of fishing gear and all this other stuff. And it's very much in tune in the entire uh, fishing community down here in Florida. Um, so my goal was to have a place where I can do what I like to do and help other people get along there too. Cause it's been such a big deal for me. Sure. Um, so we ended up buying a shop in Haines city. It's called, well, it was called Hoppy's uh, Marina sports center. Um, it's an old family business down here, been here for 40 years. Um, and they're, them selling it, it was like, it, you tell it was God's plan because it was right at the perfect time yep. for the perfect price. <laughs> and they wanted to get out at the perfect time for me to retire and take over. Sure. Um, so it couldn't have worked out better. Uh, and, uh, so now we're here, um, and we where, take it over. With, where's here exactly? In city, Florida in Polk County. Okay. All right. And we have the coolest sheriff in the country. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. And I've had an opportunity to meet him a few times. And he, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And there are a lot of cool have history. There have been a lot of cool sheriffs down in that part of the world. Yeah. They just yeah. are like, shoot them as many times as you need to shoot them. We're good. <laughs> if you run out of ammo. They went past him. Why they only shot him 60 times. And Say, well, if we had more ammo, we would have shot him more. Well, and he was actually in a conference where I was speaking after all that came out. And I told him, I said, Sheriff, if I'm in your area and that happens again and y'all run out of ammo, let me know. I'll come and replenish it. I'll go buy the stuff and bring it to you. And he just started laughing. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, we're actually about four miles away from his house. Um, he services his personal stuff here. Nice. Um, um, I'm working to get on contract for the sheriff's office uh, outboards as soon as possible. So awesome. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's it's hoppies by cross industry, right? Well, yeah, um, it has been. Um, there's been a lot of marketing confusion because of that. So we're just going to drop the whole hoppy thing. And oh, okay. Straight cross industries. Right. Because because even while you're in the Marine Corps, um, they had an online business, Cross Industries. Mm-hmm. And so that yep. kept them and that's, busy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I kept, that was Randall's full-time job. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, she was our web admin. She she did. She used her GI Bill to go get a, uh, a computer science degree. Nice. And that's what she uses. So um, is it fishing tours and stuff also, or this is repair? No, we, we just fix the boats and sell the boats. Okay. Yeah. But you still are told you're being an asshole, so you need to go fishing? <laughs> or you're not an asshole? In a while. Oh, okay. So you hadn't been an asshole in a while. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, like last night, he was, I tried texting him, and, or the day before. I think, it was Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, Wednesday. I tried texting him, and I didn't get a response right away, which is fine. Sure. And then when I did get his response, he said, sorry, I was on the water till midnight last night. <laughs> So maybe he had been an asshole recently. <laughs> or or he's going out often enough to keep him from Absolutely. becoming that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and I, I need to make sure that we get this out on Facebook. I, I've taught a lot in Florida. I used to, gosh, for almost 18 years, I taught there in Orlando at something called SWAT Roundup. I assume they still have mm-hmm. it. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a, a whole lot of fun. It was international SWAT teams and people from all over and um, have taught a lot for the International Association of Law Enforcement Firearms Instructors in Florida. So, uh, you know, we need to make sure we get the word out because a lot of those guys are retired now. I'm sure they own boats and guns. And <laughs> so there'll be a lot of guns on the boats, but uh, need to make sure they know that you're there and, and what you're doing and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. A lot of them are right there around the Orlando, everything from Cocoa Beach, you know, uh, to Central. And so, yeah, we'll make sure we get that contact stuff here on the podcast and also put it out on our Facebook page. And I'll put it on my personal page to all the Florida law enforcement officers. And so if you start getting a bunch of crazy cops, hey, don't blame me. I'm just trying to get you some business. (laughs) Hey, I appreciate it. We, uh... We love our law enforcement. Um, we, we actually do on uh, everything but labor. Um, you know, offer uh, you know, law enforcement, first responder, and uh, military discount. So um, all I have to do is show ID, showing that you know that's who they are. And, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, some people get upset about that, and when I ask, like, for you know, documentation, but I, I've known too many, you know, people mm-hmm. pretending to be something. I, I'm right. not planning. Absolutely. Nor should you. Well, you know, I know these are not easy things to talk about. Um, You know, we do feel that when you can talk about them, there's healing in that. And so I hope this has not been something that stirred stuff up, but something that, you know, you're educating people. You're also putting out there for other Marines that might be having some kind of struggles and things that they had to do that, you know, they're not alone in this exactly. in this battle at all. It's uh, pretty common. Yeah, uh, and 
you know, when I've talked to Tom a little bit about this in the past too, but, uh, you know, um, between the TBI, PTSD, and, you know, having a bad hip, right? Um, there are a lot of things I could do to just sit on my haunches and collect uh, VA disability. Yep. Um, and that would be, that, that would, wouldn't be the really the worst of choices every once in a while. Um, however, uh, what I what I would like, like my generation of guys and you know, coming out and all that, to to really understand is that it's this shit that we deal with, but it's not something that we have to be controlled by. So, sure. Um, if if I can be in here and you know, politely deal with an irate customer because he doesn't understand that things cost money. Um, <laughs> Right. Those first world uh, problems are, are really tough for some people. I know. I know. I, I got. I got told I was getting uh, reported to the Better Business Bureau because I, I gave a guy a discount on uh, some stuff that he didn't think was going supposed to be that much anyway. I'm like, dang, the Better Business yeah. Bureau after <laughs> yeah, that please be do. Worse. I will upload this invoice and you will see exactly how I actually took care of you. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a real threat but, to a yeah. Marine who's deployed seven times. Yeah, Ooh, the better business uh, Actually, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but the point being is that uh, you see a lot of guys who, who want to, um, who don't feel like they can push past it. Right. Um, and it, it is possible. Um, it's not easy to. Every day it's, it's, it's a choice to do it. Um, but we can all do it and it, we can all help each other do it. So. Um, you know, some, some guys have, you know, need a little bit more assistance than others, but it's, there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. There's no weakness in it. And, you know, and sadly, um, you know, sitting here as a master's level counselor, a lot of times the mental health world makes victims of people and, and they let them sit in that place. And that's just not something we ever want any of our people to feel like they have to be that. Right. Do a little bit of work and you'll live a much better life. Absolutely. And, you know, we're all prone to post-traumatic stress from lots of directions. And uh, But, you know, there is help out there. And uh, it's not a sign of weakness. It's, again, Marines especially and a lot of our military that have, have deployed have been put in really difficult situations that they really weren't prepared for. Right. And so that's kind of our big push at Under the Shield. We're here for all of our military, uh, 24-7. We're here for the families. They can call us anytime. There's never documentation of any nature. You know, if they get me and they don't want to talk to the Marine mom and mm -hmm. they want to talk to the Air Force, <laughs> we put Tom on the phone. <laughs> and we, we have people, I think, probably in every branch, to be honest with you, that uh, do get this and want to help, and that's the key to it. But they have to pick up the phone and call us. Right. And, you know, we understand the VA isn't the end-all, be-all. Some are better than others, for sure. And so, you know, they just got to reach out. And we wish we could call everybody and check on them, but we can't. And, again, hearing that, you know, there's life after retirement from the Marine Corps, and you have found mm -hmm. something to do that really probably is very healing for you and doing it is something you enjoy, that those are the kinds of things we encourage people to exactly. do. It's not about all of it loading up on medication and sit at home and be a victim. 
Now, doing the things that we love, that's what makes life enjoyable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I can't thank you enough for your service and your wife's service. And, again, I'm a little partial to you, Marines. (laughs) And uh, uh, so, you know, I think that, first, you can never hear enough thank you. I know that makes you all uncomfortable. I know that's not something that you got in this to do to hear. Right. But I do think that this country owes you a tremendous debt. That can never be repaid. Never, ever. And it it's something that you need to hear more often and not just on Veterans Day, Memorial Day, whatever day it is, but something that people need to show that they appreciate you all the time. Because but was, the, my take on that, this is hopefully something that, that people take is the word thank you and all the other stuff, that doesn't mean much to me. But what I do want to see is regardless of what choice people made in their lives to you know, either join or not join, it's not a big deal, right? But being the best that they possibly can be in their society to help out the folks around them and so on and so forth, that's the best thank you that we get. It's just proof that we did everything we did, not for nothing. Right. right. Absolutely. And in the woke society we're in, temporarily, it's shifting. (laughs) Hasn't exactly shown y'all, you know, but it's, again, this has nothing to do with you guys. It's the political Mm -hmm. nature of this country. It swings from one end to the other constantly. But the reality is, is we would not have the freedoms that we do have to be able to be woke or not woke. uh, If it weren't for people like yourself and the sacrifices you make and that your families make. I appreciate that. Well, and make sure your mom knows there's another Marine mom who does appreciate <laughs> what she went through. Absolutely. And I'm with her. And if she wants to start a movement about getting benefits for, for Marine moms. I think she deserves it. As much as she traveled around the country to come make sure she was wherever I needed, you know, I was either coming home or going, whatever. I yeah. mean, she. Yeah. yeah, tell her we'll start that movement. Give her my phone number. <laughs> we will be a force to be reckoned with, I assure you. And I hope I get to meet you one day. I hope you'll you'll be out in Arizona and get a chance to even have you in studio rather than on Zoom. Good. Yeah. And uh but also thank your wife for me too. And again, we appreciate your time on the podcast today and we know we're talking about tough stuff, but that's kind of what the whole point of Under the exactly. Shield is and fight in progress. Uh, it it's, it is ongoing for so many of our veterans, and it's something we need to provide more resources for. And again, educate them about Under the Shield and reaching out to us. So anybody that you still work with in the Marine Corps or any other branch that is struggling, give them our mm-hmm. number. Let them know they can call us. It's never going to go on their record towards anything. And no one will ever know. I, no, uh-uh. they can be Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck for all I care. I, you know, it, it's not about a name. It's about what you've done, where you've been, that you need help. And that's what we're here to do. So again, as we wrap this up, our toll-free number is 855-889-2348. And if you hit extension one for immediate assistance, you will get one of the stress coaches. We do not have your phone number, so if we get disconnected, you got to call us back. Uh, my cell number is area code 334-324-3570. Feel free to call. 
uh, text during the daytime. I, it's what I tell most people because if I'm in session, I can check those. I don't get voicemails usually till late at night. You want to give yours? And you can reach me at 480-861-6574, and you can call anytime. Yeah, he's retired, sort of. <laughs> sort of. But I, I make him available 24-7, so you don't have to text him. Just call him, uh, bug him. And uh, um, uh, Again, our website is undertheshield.com. We have Facebook. We have, I think, all the social media. That's not something that we, Instagram, Tom and I are allowed. Twitter, you yeah, name Tom it. and I are Joelle's allowed. Joelle's done it all. Yeah, <laughs> our, our younger people. That's why we have them. We're not allowed to touch that stuff because we'll mess it up. But we hope you'll come back and and hear us again next week. No idea who we got. Yeah, I'm not sure who's next week. Yes. Uh, no, but it'll be interesting, whatever yeah, it is. Sure. And and again, well, if but... if you have topics out there that you want to talk about or people that you think that would be good for the podcast, let us know. Uh, send us a message. We'll do our best to try to get them on there. And gosh, didn't even get to talk about Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, who no. did speak to your group ahead of time and before deployment. And I'm sure y'all learned a lot. He's a, he's a great guy and his podcast with us will be coming out in the upcoming weeks also. And uh, so take care. Thank you for all the sacrifices that all of you make out there, our military, our first responders and families, Uh, families. You can call us too. This isn't just about uh, the ones in the field and retirees. Also, there's nothing we really don't handle. So Thank you again. God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. Chaz, thanks again for being on. Thank you. It was my pleasure.